speaking of the plan of salvation, and that song says, Oh, the love that brought it down to man. What's your experience this morning as it relates to the Calvary experience? Is it fresh, vibrant, love for God, for what he did for us through Christ at Calvary? It's good to be with you all again this morning. I've been, I had been looking forward to, to this opportunity to share again. My opportunities don't come as often as they used to. I kind of had some ideas along the way that, as to what I would share this morning. But as, as time came around, um, I, my plans kind of took a turn. And one reason that I sent a, a prayer request to the prayer meeting Wednesday night, I wasn't able, going to be able to be here, but I felt a keen sense of need for your prayers as it relates to this morning's message. And since then, I've been really asking myself, what did you all pray for? How did you ask? What did you ask for? Then of this past week, since Wednesday, has been... Um, a challenge. I think it had something to do with answering your prayer, but I really wonder what you prayed for. Did you really know? <clears throat> you probably didn't know, but God, you probably prayed in God's, uh, God's will be done, and I'm convinced it was, but it was kind of hard and still hard to understand. One reason my focus changed some was because of the message last Sunday. The message brought us a challenge to think practically about where we are as it relates to God's will for our lives in living out a life of separation to God. We were admonished to think seriously about the questions that were posed or, or the, this question about how are we practically living out a separated life to God in, in the very little, uh, you might say, nitty-gritty aspects of life, the, the finer details of life. How are we living that separated life? Am I saying that right, Evan? <laughs> there was more to it than that, but that really uh, stuck with me. And it was interesting, toward the end of the service, there was time for sharing and Brother Jeff encouraged us to do what we were asked to do, and that was to meditate on these things. And he used the word that I found interesting. He said, ruminate on these things. And I like that term. That really fits. That's when the cow, after she's ingested all the forage that she can hold, uh, she hasn't really gotten the good out of it yet. She has to bring it back and chew on it and chew on it and get the nurture, that nourishment out of it. And so it was with that message last Sunday, we really got fed a lot over a course of, I think, three messages that kind of com combined in one. A lot to think about. And so I've been thinking and praying. And one of the questions that has really come to my mind in this whole uh, consideration is... What needs to happen in our life, personal life? What needs to be there so that I take my responsibility seriously 
to be obedient to God's word in living the separated life. If I'm not going to be serious about about wanting to operate in God's will in this area, I may comply with what other people think. I may comply with what just has been the norm, uh, the best I can tell. Or there can be something inside of me that compels me to want to please God by the way I live. And so the question has been in my mind, what is that? What does it take to compel me to want to live a life that represents a heart of of contrition, a heart of love for God, a heart of desiring to be that person that God is pleased with? Now, we don't necessarily set out to do things to please God. But as we please God, we will operate a certain way. But that starts in the heart. And how does it get into our heart? Those are some of the questions I have in my mind this morning that I hope we, hope we can answer effectively from the Word of God. <clears throat> Recently, one of the high school students was required to have an interview with a minister. And so I got an email and there were at least five questions that I was, or no, maybe six. Anyway, I was requested to respond to these questions as as a type of interview. And I'm going to tell you what two of those questions were. And I had hoped to look up and reread my answer. I didn't get time to do that. But one question was, how do you get saved? Very important question. And the next question, I think it was the next question, these weren't necessarily the first two, but the next question was, how do you stay saved? I found it interesting to be asked that question. And I told my wife after I finished answering those questions and got the response back, it took longer than I thought it would. I said, I spent more time answering those questions than I spend preparing a message. And the frustrating part was I got started answering those questions and I, I was just inspired to answer the questions and, and I was looking at scripture references and things were really coming together and all of a sudden my computer did something it very seldom does. It just quit. It lost it all. I hadn't saved it yet. So I had to start over. And the answers weren't quite the same. They just didn't come together the same. It was kind of frustrating because I thought I had it said so meticulously right, maybe, uh, the first time. Well, for whatever reason it is, I think God had a hand in it to teach me some lessons. But the second question is one that I think maybe is one that we don't ask enough or we don't understand. And I hope that this morning's message can actually bring that into focus as well. Now, I mentioned that I was short on time. There was some more studying I wanted to do for this message. I had wanted to look up some scripture references and some illustrations that didn't come to fruition. And that's part of the frustration I, I discovered myself involved in this week as, as I was expecting to spend a good bit of time in study. Instead of that opportunity, I got 
an, a firsthand opportunity to care for a, an ailing animal. And uh, ours went into that. And I hoped that I would, I gave it, I thought all I could give it to take care of this animal that was down. And I uh, spent a lot of time. And hopefully she would respond and get up and go and I could get on with life and, and get back to studying. But things seemed to go downhill and I spent more time and more time. Actually, I spent several hours this morning that I wouldn't have normally. <clears throat> this is an answer to prayer. This is what I got to help me out in this message. Well, there's a verse that I came across I want to share. Verse 11 of Proverbs 3. It says, My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord. Need to be weary of his correction. And then verse 12, For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father of the son in whom he delighteth. One of the things that, that we were challenged with in that message last Sunday and in those there's other messages that led up to it where are we taking responsibility to have our life priorities straight? God's disappointment with the children of Israel when he took them into captivity was that they, they had lost the response, taking responsibility for properly prioritizing their lives, their dedication to him, their love for him. <clears throat> And somehow, through this whole week of events, last half of the week of events, has made that confusing on one hand. But on the other hand, it has brought me to understand that no matter how we think we have it figured out, we need to trust God. We need to rely on God. We need to put our faith in Him and, and be resigned to what He brings into our life and what, what He desires for us and what needs to happen. I actually prayed a good bit that God would just help me get this, this issue behind me. The things would come out well. This animal was somebody else's. It wasn't mine. It was one that I want the best for. And I prayed a good bit about it. And last evening, yesterday afternoon, after I had tried hard to take the care of this cow's needs, it, it seemed like things were going downhill. I was on my way home from the field, and a neighbor. I thought I was in back 40, you know that term. Uh, this is actually 80 or 90 acres, and, and it spans a good bit of distance back over the hill, back toward where Dave lives. <clears throat> but uh, it's a good ways from home, and I thought I was back there where nobody, but it was me and God working this thing out. Well, as I came out of the field, and was driving down along a path along the road, an automobile slowed down and the window was open and the guy tried to get my attention and so I stopped in my cow path. He stopped in the road and he yelled over across at me and said, hey, we've been noticing you're having trouble with this cow. Is there any way we can help? Total stranger. Where'd they come from? I thought I was out there all by myself. He said, well, we've been watching you. We live right over across the field from you. And we've been noticing you've been spending a lot of time with that cow, and today it seemed like you were really having trouble getting, trying to get her up. He said, you can't do that by yourself. Could we help? 
I wanted to get home and study. <laughs> I was headed home. And I knew my wife was expecting me and wondering where I was at and why I wasn't at home studying. And so I almost declined his offer, but somehow something said, you prayed. This didn't just happen. So I said, well, to show you that I appreciate your offer, I'll let you help. So I turned around, waited till they got there, uh, could go with me. We went back up over the hill and spent another half hour, 45 minutes. And it seemed like it was beneficial. The cow responded, better? I left her that time feeling a lot better about her prognosis. <clears throat> this morning I got a text. They said, to, they, they were saying, can we go with you again? Uh, the cow's still alive. We see her ears wiggling and her tail moving. And we think she's sitting up. Well, that was all good news to me because I was pretty well sure she, she was going to give up overnight. And she hadn't eaten much, hardly anything. Well, just to say this much more, they helped me. And before I left the field this morning, uh, I got her some shade, and she was eating hay, and she was wiggling her ears, and she was looking a lot better. It's like God answered my prayer in a different way. But I have a hunch that this relationship between me and that neighbor was on God's mind. I don't know where it will go from here, but I ask you to pray. Uh, and, and what was so interesting, they were concerned about getting to church this morning too. And their young teenage boy was so eager to help me. And he was vibrant with his, his expressions and his faith. He actually shared his faith with me. And so I'm not sure what it all means, but it was an interesting challenge. And it helped me know how much I need to rely on the Lord. And so I want to just pause now and ask God's blessing on this message your hearts, my heart, and his message to us from his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your love, your mercy, your blessing upon us as we seek you. We acknowledge our weakness. We acknowledge our failure to focus on you and allow you to be the priority of our hearts as much as we should. But we pray that you will visit us again this morning by your Spirit's visitation in our, in our assembly and in our hearts specifically, our individual life experiences speak through our hearts. And I pray that you will speak to us as a congregation. I thank you for this group of, of family, spiritual family, what they mean to us. And the potential is here to bring you glory and honor and to, to be an example of your church, your kingdom actually here on earth. And I pray you will help us each to be challenged this morning to a closer walk with you, to a heart that's singular, refined, dedicated to your will and purpose so that you can show yourself strong, that the world can see that we're serious about loving you and living that way. And Father, I just pray that you will open the scriptures and direct me as I share this morning. I pray it in Jesus' precious and worthy name.
Amen. The title of the message this morning comes from Ecclesiastes. If you'd like, you can turn to chapter 12. I'd like to read a number of verses from there, but but the the uh, title comes from verse 12. <clears throat> it says this, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. The lesson, the message title this morning is the conclusion of the whole matter. Now, we're not going to be able to bring it all together. But here, it's pretty simple. It's fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. So let's think a little bit about what it means to keep these commandments. Well, it's part of answering that question of how do we stay saved? Keeping his commandments. But how do we do that properly? We know. We've been taught. We have routines. We have, we have lifestyles. We have ways of expressing our faith. That word faith has different connotations. One of the words, one of the connotations of the word faith is the body of beliefs that I prescribe to or subscribe to. But is it a personal faith? Well, the, the phrase before the one keep his commandments is fear God. And I want us to take some time to look at what that means. What does it mean to fear God? <clears throat> And by the way, I'm hoping to give some time for you to share this morning. Um, Evan encouraged us last Sunday to communicate with each other. He wanted to give us time to share, but time got all. And he said, well, you, you share between yourselves. You don't have to share with the congregation, but challenge each other. And I'm frankly curious if it happened. And if it happened, I'd like to hear some of that. What did somebody say to you that encouraged you? Or what did you say to somebody else that was a response to that? Um, or did, did we just let that roll off our, our, our uh, heart like water off the duck's back? Did the message actually have an effect on us last, this past week? <clears throat> now that's a challenge to not only you but to me. And that's Actually, how that happened this past week may have an indicate, may be an indication as to how well I'm doing in retaining and maintaining that relationship with God of staying saved. I'm not saying that if you didn't meditate and share it with somebody, you're not saved anymore. But I'm saying what what causes that to become a reality in our experience could be part of the key of staying on top of things and being where we ought to be. And I know that I have room to grow in that area. But I will say that in the process of sensing God 
leading in these peculiar ways in this, this past week and especially the last couple of days yesterday and today. I was able to share with this, this gentleman, my neighbor, and challenge him in his faith and his walk of faith. At the same time, I was acknowledging to him the challenges I was facing. Now I'd like to read in Ecclesiastes, beginning at verse 8, and read through, through this passage. Vanity of vanity, saith the preacher, all is vanity. Moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yea, he gave good heed and sought out and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find out acceptable words, and that which was written was upright, even words of truth. The words of the wise are as goads and as nails fastened by the masters of assemblies, which are given from one shepherd. Now this all precedes the verse I already read. I want to just touch on some of these thoughts a little bit. He talks about the preacher was wise and, and he taught knowledge. He gave good heed and sought out and set in order many proverbs. And I want to say I commend Evan for his efforts in the last three messages on digging into the Old Testament and putting the history in perspective and, and looking at what God was trying to say and bringing that to us as a challenge because it's, that's what it's there for. And I had to think that this describes what he was doing. As I looked at, I, I don't look at commentaries a lot. And I share from them even less. They're men's ideas and opinions, and often they, they show that. However, I understand that those men probably were directed by the Spirit, and their meditations were worthwhile. So I want to be careful I don't discount them too much. But I do have one I want to share with you this morning. And I'm not sure if I should tell you who it is, because I don't necessarily agree with everything he says. Of course, I don't know everything he says. Reminds me of something I saw in Reader's Digest. Somebody said they wrote a book. I don't read Reader's Digest that much either, except my wife's had a lot of doctor's appointments recently, and I take that along sometimes, so that's where that came from. But somebody said that their their dad said that all you don't know would make a could would fill a, a large volume a book. And so here it is. <laughs> Well, I don't know what all the commentaries have said, but a little bit that I catch one once in a while, I, I question some things, and sometimes I say, good, that helped me understand it better. But I'm going to read you this commentary's perspective on these verses I just read to you from Ecclesiastes. It says, Of making many books, there is no end. Two thousand years have elapsed since this was written. And since that time, some millions of treatises have been added on all kinds of subjects to those who have gone before. The press is still groaning under the teeming of, with books, books innumerable, and no one subject is yet exhausted. Notwithstanding all that have been written, not, notwithstanding all that have been written on it. And we who live in these latter times are no better at, we are no nearer the end. In the investigation of nature and its proprieties, of God, his attributes, 
his providence, his justice, and his mercy. A man of man, his animal life, his motive, nutrition, and existence, and his soul and its powers of Jesus and the redemption of, of him of eternity and what it implies as exhibiting to us the pains of the cursed and the glories of the blessed. Of several of these, we know no more than they who have lived 5,000 years before us, nor do we know anything certainly by the endless books that have been published, except what bears the seal of God of heaven as published in his word, which he dedicated by his spirit. He's saying that you know, all that information is out there and it's still being accumulated. Now, this man existed probably 75 years ago or more. Maybe he was writing, he was old enough to be there then, and he may have been writing since then, but he's off the scene now. He didn't even know about Google. And I think he just said the same thing. Google thinks they know it all. Did you know that? Recently, I was looking up something on the computer, and this thing flashed up and said, just ask me anything. And that was Google. And they thought they had the answer for everything. Truth is, as it relates to serious, important things from God's word, they don't have it. Now, it is interesting. They will they will give you information from, from, the, from the Bible that I'm surprised that they will tell you. But they don't understand the message. But this commentator is telling us, there's where the message is. That's where we need to be applying our hearts. And I, I want to say the same, but I'm not quite finished. i like to say just a little bit more about a couple of words here. It talks about goads. Uh, some of you may know what a goad is. Some of you don't. I needed one to help try to get this cow up the other day. Uh, it's, a, it's a sharp pointed stick that you use to encourage animals to move. That's a goad. And uh, the shepherds and, and uh, animal tenders would have one so that if an animal wasn't moving along like they should, they could give it an encouragement. Well, that's what it says here, that, that the words of the preacher are, be, are to be to us, to get to the point and encourage us to behave and, and go the right direction. And so we've had some of that. Another word is nails, another word that is pointed and it's talking about the teacher who uses pointed truth to fasten things in our mind. And so I find it so interesting that, that the uh, Ecclesiastes writer used that, that terminology and, and what it means. And so I guess the question I have, are, and this is what I want us to think about, the word heart is referred to a number of times in the scriptures that I want to bring to our attention this morning. The heart is where the condition of the heart is what makes a difference on how we respond to God. Now I'm giving you I'm giving you the essence of what I want to share this morning because I may not get it all said anyway. But our heart is going to be in a condition that it will receive those points. It will allow the nail to, to penetrate and put that point there and hang it there so that it's there or not. And that's one reason I asked the question, how did we respond to last Sunday's message? Did, did the nails, did the points of that message penetrate and make a point that stuck with us? 
Did we take the response? Did we, how did we respond to that encouragement to think seriously about how we live a separated life? What are the details of that? How does it manifest itself in the way I live my everyday life? <clears throat> I'm going to read from Proverbs <clears throat> chapter 3. And follow along if you like. I'd like to read through verse 13. You'll notice a few things here that apply to what I've been saying. I won't have time or take time to really dissect all that's here. Call your attention to a couple of thoughts, especially. Beginning at verse 1 of Proverbs 3. My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life, long life and peace they shall add to thee. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the table of thine heart. So shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. I'm just going to pause there and call attention to two words. The word heart and the word fear. We've seen those before. Verse 8. It shall be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the firstfruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father, the son, in whom he delighteth. Happy is the man that findeth wisdom, and the man that getteth understanding. For the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver, and the gain thereof than fine gold. Just a comment on that last verse. What shapes our priorities? We were challenged about this in the last number of messages. What shapes our priorities? What is our focus in life? What is the impetus of what makes us think and do what we do? Is it the monetary gain or ebb and flow of life? Or is it that desire to, to have um, understanding and wisdom of God direct our life? Now, I find it so interesting. One of the things that really stood out to me in my experience this week was I found myself needing to trust in the Lord with all my heart and not lean on my understanding, figure out why this is, what I'm going to do. I had to just commit it to God and say, it's yours. I will say this, though. In the process of this, I did find myself ill at ease in my heart uh, I sensed that that I was performing a lot on my own um, thought processes and and arrangements of of what was the outcome of my life. And as I processed all this, I, I realized I need, I just came to God and and opened my heart and and asked Him to forgive me for 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 my priorities not being more established on on trusting in Him. And, and for my life to be resigned and submitted to him, 
I wanted that peace of knowing that I'm on track with God. And I'm thankful that he gave me that peace, a reassurance that we can, we can be in that place. And that helped me through the last part of this week. It was not easy. I kept having to ask questions to myself. Where am I in this? What, what does this really mean? But through it all, I had a sense of peace that I probably wouldn't have otherwise. It'd be more frustration. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Verse 3. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the tables of thine heart. Mercy and truth. Mercy has that, that connotation of running up against the just the justness of God and realizing that that he is considerate of, our, of who we are, what we are. And he has an answer for that. Truth is running up against the reality that here's God. This is his standard. And I need to come to grips with that. But God mixes that together. He gives us and an, an, a, a word from the Old Testament we find more in the New Testament is the word of grace. And this combination of acknowledging the need for mercy and God's mercy and realizing the God of the law that, that we're accountable to. It's, it's a combination of mixing his mercy against that law that, that actually brings us out where we need to be. And that word is grace. It's, it's God's ability that he puts in our life experience to, to resign to him and to, be able to perform in a way that pleases him. Not that we can do it ourselves. In verse 5, it says, on verse 3, it says, find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. We will if we uh, seek mercy and truth. In verse 6, it says, in all thy ways acknowledge him, and he will. Promise, he'll direct your paths. But the, 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 the precaution is, but be not wise in your own eyes. We tend to be wise in our own eyes. We tend to think I've figured it out. And even I've discovered this, that I've come through some situations already and I, I, I've had, had to acknowledge, I prayed for wisdom, God gave me wisdom, he gets the glory. Later on in my life, when I need to answer the same question, I already kind of know how it works and I can actually kind of assume you should give me credit for the wisdom that I'd already gotten and I put to practice. It's human nature. We have to continually come back to that desire to submit to God, acknowledge him. And then it comes verse seven, be not wise in our eyes and fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. I want to spend just a little bit of time on this. Then I want to open things up. What does the word fear mean? Does it mean tremble and quake with concern about how terrible God is. That is true for those who ignore him. They will come to that point where they, they will fear him because scripture says he will judge the fearful. That's not the kind of fear. The kind of fear that is, is in focus here is a reverential respect for who God is. 
reverential respect for the truth of God, reverential respect for what he says in his law that he expects out of mankind. Now, I want, I've mentioned the word law a couple of times, and maybe that brings somebody's uh, question somebody's mind. You're teaching the law. We're, we're, uh, uh, we're to uphold the law. That's our responsibility as New Testament saints. Well, the truth is we are. The truth also is that we can't on our own. And the truth also is that as we fear God or we actually acknowledge that we cannot do it ourselves, that we need the power of God, the grace of God to get it done God's way, just acknowledging that by faith opens the opportunity for God to work in our life so we can live a righteous life that does line up with the law of God. There are those who say that, that because we've been saved, and that was in answering that question, how you get saved, because we've been saved, it's all taken care of, and God looks at Jesus' righteousness, and because I was saved, he doesn't even count my sins anymore because Jesus' righteousness covers my life. Uh, that's not what the scripture says. There's an influence. There is a standard of righteousness that Jesus gave, gave us. And in Romans 8, I find this so interesting. I come across this every now and then, and, and I find it so interesting. Verse 8, it says, verse 2, it says, For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus had made me free from the law of sin and death, for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. Notice what it says next. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. God, Jesus came and illustrated how you can live a righteous life in the flesh. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. The righteousness of the law fulfilled in my life who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. And so it's that, that walk and I've illustrated that before. Uh, you might recall that that walk is each choice that we make, whether it's God's way or our way. And, and we keep taking steps every day. How do we make that step? Is it in our own, in our, our own ability to sort things out? Or is it in acknowledging God? You see, when we acknowledge God, and we understand the word and we are allowing the word to govern the way we live, we have that love for God. We have that desire to have his characteristics being in our life. And with that, with that mindset and with that resignation and, that, and the, the fact that when we have failed, we have repented, then we can be back to righteous. And we can make the righteous choices throughout life and throughout the day. We will make some mistakes. But the way to not stay saved is to ignore the responsibility to stay saved and not realize the responsibility to, to repent when we've made our mistakes. In John, First John 1, it says, or no, I'm sorry, John chapter, and it was 1 John 1, 9. If, we're, if we confess our sin, he is willing and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's not our salvation experience. That's our walking in him experience. 
But if we ignore that, we just start living our life on our own without examining the heart and tuning the heart into God's perspective. We can find ourselves out on away from God, eventually further than we ever think we might be. And so the challenge is to examine our heart. Is, do we reverence God? Do we love God? Scripture says that we're, uh, Jesus asked and was asked and answered the question, what's the most important uh, commandment? And it was love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is likened to it, to love your neighbors yourself. If you do one, you, if you are doing the one, you will do the other because love actually, and, and I, there was a verse I wanted to bring your attention, but I won't be able to this morning. But it says, it talks about our faith that is in the love of God. Our faith allows us to experience and pass on the love of God. And of course, and it's also his love that makes it possible for us to have that faith. I want to give time for you to share. If you have something on your heart, I'm not finished, but time, the clock is going to beat me to the draw if I don't stop. I want to give you the opportunity. I do want to quick say this. In my response to that student, I said there's, I took the liberty to say there's three aspects of salvation, and I'm, I'm not sure, but maybe there's four as I thought about it more later, but one is getting saved, one is staying saved, and one is being saved in the end. Uh, uh, safely saved, I think maybe is the word I used, I'm not sure how it was, but when, when at the end when Jesus redeems us, takes us home, there's no concern about losing it then. We're safe. And I told that neighbor this morning, I believe in eternal security. But I said, it's not unconditional eternal security. There's conditions involved. And I found it interesting. I thought maybe he was going to resist that, but he kind of agreed with me. I was glad. <clears throat> well, I did want to take you to Ephesians chapter 6. I told you I'm going to close. <clears throat> but your homework assignment is to read that. But one of the things I wanted to challenge us was verse 18. Well, verse 16 says, Above all, taking the shield of faith, whereby we're able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. We do experience those cloudy days and questions. I alluded to some of that in my own life. And then it talks about the helmet of salvation, which is the word of God. We've got to make this word a priority, daily priority. Meditate on it. Read it. Take it with us in our hearts. Hit mind. But then in verse 18, it's the responsibility for all of us. And I have discovered, for some reason, it feels like it's becoming more difficult. Satan realizes the power of this staying help that we have, and he challenges it. I'm just going to be frank and tell you something that I'm kind of surprised that he's telling you this. But over the years, I've spent a good bit of time in prayer. And I feel like I really need to be on my knees before God to really have an effective prayer experience. I know I can pray otherwise in other ways, and I do. I pray while I'm walking through the field. I pray when I'm driving the tractor. But those times when I really grapple with, with God and want to really get close to God, I feel like I need to be on my knees. And I spend a lot of time on my knees. 
And I'm not sure but what that's why I have such a knee problem today. I'm not sure. I think it maybe contributed a little bit. But I find it very difficult to get out of my knees now because my knees aren't what they used to be. And along with that, I find it more difficult to pray. Pray for me. Ephesians 6.18 says, Praying always, not just when it suits and sometimes, but praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. And you see, you need to go to the closet for some of that, or you, you just don't get there. And the closet is where I found myself on my knees. And watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints, we need the prayers of each other. You need to be praying for someone else. Or your prayer life isn't right. But you need to be praying for yourself. We need to be praying. We need a, to blanket our congregation and our family with prayer. Satan knows that's not good. And so I have a hunch that our prayer life could be improved because Satan is very, very diligent to do anything that will take away from God's, God's perspective and, and God's goals. So I'd say in your heart, I'd like, I'd like for you to make a commitment to more earnest prayer for yourself for that heart that's soft toward God, that loves God, and for each other. Let's stand for prayer. <clears throat> Brother Wade, would you lead us?